Hello, it's Bernard Nomberg with the Nomberg Law Firm in Birmingham, Alabama. Each month, David and I host Alabama Work Comp Today. We invite colleagues who do the same type of practices that we have, that's representing injured workers in workplace injuries and accidents. We get together with them once a month on YouTube Live and we discuss the hot topics of the day that involve employers, employees, independent contractors, and all of the above. We hope you'll enjoy listening to Alabama Work Comp today. In this episode, we have a real informative conversation with Montana attorney Tom Murphy with the Murphy Law Firm. Tom brings his many years of experience and expertise to our conversation in this episode where we're continuing to talk about how the pandemic impacts employers, employees, and independent contractors. We hope you'll enjoy this episode. And thank you again for listening to the Alabama Work Comp Today podcast. All right. Well, guys, I want to welcome everybody to another weekly episode of Alabama Work Comp Today. It is July 23rd, 2020. I think it's still 2020. Help me. And I want to welcome David, as always. How are you doing today, Dave? Doing fine. Good, good. And we've got our friend from Great Falls, Montana, Tom Murphy. Hey, Tom, good to see you, bud. Hey there, Bernard. Uh, howdy from Montana. Howdy. Well, we are, we're so pleased to have Tom on with us today. And as you guys know, what we try to do at this show is every month we try to bring current topics dealing with employers, employees, and independent contractors, really anything from an employment setting, and trying to stay in the current news since we're still in the pandemic and there's so many aspects of employment that are impacted, that's predominantly what's been our topic the last few months. And it is again for today as well. But before we jump into those stories and really kind of dig deep a little bit, Tom, tell us about your practice and your family and what goes on in Great Falls. Well, thank you for that opportunity, Bernard. And thank you guys for talking to uh, practitioners around the United States. I think it's just a valuable thing to have have us compare uh, notes together and share ideas uh, on a national basis. So with that being said, here in Montana, I work in uh, Great Falls, Montana, which is about 60 miles east of the Rocky Mountain Front and about 100 miles south of the Canadian border. There's a firm here, Murphy Law Firm, which I started Many years ago, I've been practicing. This is my 35th year of practice. And we have 11 members here, four lawyers, uh, four paralegals, and three ass uh, assistants that, that do all the hard work. And we've been uh, blessed to do personal injury work, which is auto accidents and uh, things of that nature, and workers' compensation law, which has represented injured workers uh, who are trying to find their way past an injury at work. So that's the kind of work we do, and that's the size of our firm, and and we're happy to uh, be talking to you, you boys down there in Alabama. <laughs> well, Dave, speaking of us boys down in Alabama with this 
typical late July heat. Would you rather be in Montana this time of the year or would you rather be in Birmingham, Alabama? <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to one day go to Montana, especially in the summertime. It'd be great. We were trying to go out west this summer, but uh, this pesky little pandemic has uh, kept us really close to, uh, to Alabama the whole summer. Well, Tom, when you're not busy representing injured workers, Social Security folks, folks who get hurt on the job, what keeps you busy from a, uh, I guess, from either a hobbies standpoint or just getting away from the office and, and de-stressing in Montana or out west? What do you do for fun? Uh, out here, we have, a, we have a beautiful playground. As you know, Bernard, we have the mountains. I do a lot of hiking with my wife, who's I just have to admit, one of the best hikers in the world, and I'm, I'm not really very good at it, but I still love it. We go hiking a lot. I do some fly fishing in the, in the upper mountain lakes and in the river, uh, the Missouri River up here, which is pure and clean, and uh, all the different rivers in Montana. And uh, th that kind of thing, we, we're, we're family people. I got three uh, boys, two of them are lawyers in my firm, and then I've got an older boy who runs a roofing company. And uh, I just had my first granddaughter this year, so we're we're thrilled to thrilled with that. That's that 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 you can do all day long. Oh, that's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, congrats. And uh, I know that I've I've had the the pleasure of going fly fishing a few times out west, and we can actually go in North Alabama, but you would laugh if you saw what our options were just here in the South, but there's nothing more peaceful to me than just standing out there in the middle of a river. And I know it sounds very cliche, but it really it really must be something that you look forward to. I know I would as often as I could. Yeah, it's amazing. It's one of the reasons I'm here, I'm sure. Well, let's, uh, Dave, let's jump into our, our articles for this week. Yep. And Tom, I know you've had a chance to look through some of these, as has Dave. And where we're going to start, it really is an, an article out of out of West Virginia, but it can apply, frankly, to almost anywhere in the country. And it's the reopening of the economy. And this particular article is discussing how retailers are between a rock and a hard place, and with with masks. Before we jump into that, I do want to ask you, Tom, what's the current ordinances for Great Falls or for the state in Montana about wearing masks? Our situation right now is that uh, we are required to wear masks if we go into a business. So the public is required to wear masks. And if we have the public into our business, we're required to wear masks. So currently, our law firm's locked up. Our, we're conducting all of our meetings by telephone so that our staff can work without masks. But uh, it's a situation that we're all concerned about. We want to protect one another as best we can, and that's, what, that's where we came down. The governor has required it just as recently as last week, I think. Dave, what's our, ours has changed a few times. Yeah. Where are we? I think it was last week when our governor uh, said we need to be wearing masks, although there's no enforcement on that policy. It's uh, a mandate, but but it's no, uh, there's no enforcement. Um, who would have thought that wearing a, a piece of cloth over your mouth and nose would be so controversial? I, 
I, I keep seeing these scenes from uh, the 1918, 1919, both sporting events and people just out in public wearing masks. They knew 100 years ago, stop the spread of the of influenza by wearing a mask. But here we are 100 years later, and it's just can't take away my rights. I'm not wearing a mask. It's uh, it really anyway. has become such a political divide in our country. And I don't mean for us to head down that that route. But it just it seems like the news is just filled with that you're not going to make me wear a mask or you really need to wear a mask for the greater good. But regardless of where you come down, employers, retailers, the big box stores, the big companies now are really having to deal with that, particularly the big ones that uh, this article addresses. I saw, I don't know how many, and you guys may be able to, to help me with this. I know Walmart has said last this past week, they're gonna require their employees to wear masks. Have y'all seen other big retailers around the country with similar um, rules for their employees. Yeah, that uh, article that you're referring to talks about Walmart, Kroger, and Target. And these are companies that are, uh, and that's the title of the, uh, of the article, you know, they're between a rock and a hard place. If they allow their, their staff or if they allow customers to infect other people, there's potential liability for that employer. So it's nice that uh, people willingly wear masks to protect others because that's why you're wearing a mask. You're, you're trying to protect others from coughing that you might do. And you're hoping that they'll protect you by wearing a mask themselves. So, but this, this uh, reopening has exposed the employers like Walmart, like uh, Kroger, Target, to the possibility that they could get sued if they don't take proper precautions for their staff, for their employees, and for their customers. And later in the show, we're going to talk about that very issue, the liability uh, issues that come with being an employer. There's lots of discussion all over the country, different uh, branches of government, different areas, different levels of government are talking about that. Dave, if you're a, if you're a big box store, and you've got hundreds, if not thousands of employees that you rely upon, regardless if they're considered essential, whatever that term really means, what, what, is there a way that you can keep your business open and not require your people to have masks? Let's say you're in a state that doesn't mandate wearing masks. How do you deal with that? Well, I was gonna say, you gotta first start with what's the, the state mandate or the state law on that and then if the state's not addressing it what's the uh local municipality or county what is their policy on that so i suppose if it's not being required by the local by the state or local government then then you could probably get away with it but i don't know why any employer would do that uh, again as tom said wearing a mask stops the spread of infection it just makes good sense tom let me give you a one. real a real world example we had here a few weeks ago our governor was, it wasn't mandated at all to wear a mask until recently. But in the city of Birmingham, where I live, David lives right next door in the next community over. But in the city of Birmingham, our mayor was very proactive in requiring our citizens in Birmingham to wear a mask. And we have a Walmart in the city. We have a few other big box stores. So I'm putting myself in the place of an employee at Walmart where my governor says I don't have to wear it, 
but my mayor says I have to wear it. And until recently, Walmart, I don't think, had a policy enforcing it. Now the employer has a policy, so that makes it a little easier. But I can only imagine what would be going through the mind of, say, a cashier or a stock person at a Walmart in that scenario. Yes, I agree. And that, that, that just is the tip of the iceberg, as you know. And we might, as you said, get into this a little bit later. But what is the standard of care for this employer? I mean, in the end, the politicians are going to speak. The governor may say one thing. The mayor may say another thing. The president might not say anything. But in the end, the employer is going to be the one that's going to have to answer to a potential lawsuit by an employee or a customer who contracted COVID and got sick and maybe died or maybe has lifelong, uh, lifelong injuries. Now, that's why I think that the big, smarter employers are stepping up and saying, we're going to up our game and we're going to protect people. And generally, you and me and Dave, we like that kind of behavior, and that's the kind of behavior that I think we need to see all across the country. We need to see these employers and our politicians taking care of, of, of working men and women in, this, in, in the United States. And so that's why I'm, I'm applauding this move by them, and I, I think it's smart from a liability standpoint, so they're not looking at a bunch of lawsuits down the road. And for those of you just joining us or may join us later on, of course, this is our July episode of Alabama Work Comp today. David and I bring on a guest, a friend, a fellow practitioner each month. And we've got Tom Murphy out of Montana, who's also a fellow Willig member and officer with Dave, who is Willig is a national organization of, of attorneys across the country. I believe over a thousand uh, lawyers and paralegals and other members of law firms who represent the interests of really any person who's in an employment setting who gets hurt, whether it's work comp, federal or state, longshoremen. I mean, there's a whole host of these, but that's how we met Tom. I met Tom through Dave. Dave and Tom have known each other for several years, but we're so glad to have Tom with us today. And Tom, we wanna thank you for, for your time. And we're just getting started into these topics today, but here's, here's my question. And I'm gonna let David answer after you on this. Are you having people call your firm, contact you saying either A, I think I contracted or con you know, tested positive from working in the workplace and I know I got uh, COVID-19 or the coronavirus while working at work, or I think I've been exposed, but right now I'm not testing. What are my rights? How do I deal with this? Are you getting those phone calls at your firm? I thank you for that question. And, and the truth is that Montana, it's not well known, but Montana is a very sparsely populated state. We only have 1 million people that live in our state. So consequently, our COVID exposure is very limited. Right now, we have a thousand, about a thousand active cases of COVID in the, st in the state. In my, uh, in my county, for instance, there's about 35 active cases. So it's not a lot of people. We've had 40 deaths in Montana from COVID. So I have limited exposure to COVID. We had one nurse who um, has asked me not to say her name or the name of her employer because she's worried about retaliation and being fired. Yeah. But she did contract COVID and she was hospitalized for 10 days and still is off work and on oxygen 
uh, over a month later. So wow. she has a very difficult case under Montana law. We do not have a presumption for her. You know, some states presume that if a healthcare worker contracts COVID, that state law presumes that that individual received that uh, disease from work. Well, Montana doesn't. In Montana, we must prove that that nurse contracted, it's more probable than not that she contacted, contacted that condition from work, which will be a very difficult thing because we have to prove that she didn't get it at home or from her brother-in-law or some other condition. So it's gonna be a difficult road for her to hoe. The insurance company uh, sensing a possible uh, uh, chance to settle the case came forward and offered about one fourth of her medical expenses. Remember, she was hospitalized for quite some time. And they said to her straight out, they said, this is all you're going to get. If you litigate this, you're not going to get anything. So this is the kind of uh, fight we have in Montana. And that's a little bit about uh, the only COVID case I have so far. Well, in comparison, Dave, what do we have? About 4.6, 4.8 million, under yeah. 5 million people. But our story is a little bit different. You want to elaborate on yeah, that a little bit? Well, I'd say unlike Montana, we are a hot spot in Alabama. Um, and there are, I don't know what our numbers are, Bernard. You may have them. And if you want to share them, go ahead. Go, go ahead, but, Dave. Uh, I'll be looking at our it. Yeah, our numbers are skyrocketing and have been skyrocketing, Tom. Uh, like Montana, we do not have a presumption either. Um, they are going to be hard cases to prove in court. It's uh, legal causation and medical causation. Um, it's, it's a hard standard to prove. Um, we have fielded calls from uh, people exposed at work or people with COVID-related questions about having to return to work if their coworker tested positive. Uh, but we don't have any active cases at this time. Tom, just as an example, we had 61 new deaths yesterday. Wow. That's just horrible. that alone. Um, the numbers are just, uh, they're not good. I mean, I don't need to go over them all, but they're just the whole Southeast right now. And a lot of that they're attributing to really three things. And I know we're a little off topic of what we were talking about, but it's still all related. The beaches are open, bars are open, and restaurants are open. And right or wrong, good or bad, no matter what you think, a lot of people are not social distancing and they don't fear the disease because of either their youth or their beliefs in one way or another, or they just don't care. And it's a pretty callous, approach that I wish people now would take the approach that New York has taken. They have flattened the curve. You look at their numbers, they are not the hotbed anymore and haven't been for weeks. Now it's Florida and really the Southeast. But getting back to, to the topic at hand, it's, and we can move to our next article, which is coming out of Michigan. And the title of this one is REI, which for those of you who don't know what REI is, because I don't know if they're everywhere in the country, it's, David, what other companies are, are like it? It's outdoor clothing and backpacking and just being in the wood, yeah. and nature. Out, outdoor store specializing in, in gear, clothes, anything you need for backpacking, hiking, biking. Yeah, I it's think a great store. Either, 
I think we either did or do still have one in Alabama. Yeah, I think we they're do almost Birmingham. around the country, but it's a big, it's a big store. It's a big box. It's up. like a big box store. Yeah, but they screwed up. And Tom, did you get a chance to to digest this one a little bit? Yeah, I did. I did look at that one. If I I want to follow up on one point, and I want to make sure I say this because I'm saying it to everybody, and um, and it's this. You know, one thing I've seen in the last couple months is is you know we have the press that tries to push our edges and they're doing the polls and everything but you know right there in the middle there's there's thousands of americans that are just doing wonderful things for one another and i'm so impressed with our country and the way that we stick together in 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 the middle here you know and and people doing you know just going out of the way to take care of their neighbor and that is i think the best news i've seen this year and and I think that I think that we should continue on in the thing. That's why I'm going to wear my mask. Not, not it's not to protect me. It's to protect you, and 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 I'm going to do things for you so that so that that's that's how our country works the best. So, pardon that little uh, little uh, thing there, but that's no any any time. And when our our Nomberg Law Firm branded masks come in. How well will those play in Montana? We may have to ship some up there. We're, we're spreading out across the country. You ship those up there, pretty soon you'd be on them in the country. Yeah, that REI piece I thought was very interesting. It's it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing, as I recall the facts of that case where uh, an an employee an employee got sick with COVID, reported it to management. Management didn't do its job and reported to the co-employees, us exposing them for who knows how long. And then it was finally reported to them because the injured employee who cared for his co-employees notified them. So he kind of outed the management, which I'm taking it's probably gonna cause some retaliation on him for telling the truth to his co-employees and taking care of them which is basically the exact opposite of what I was just talking about, isn't it? Here he is taking care of his employees and now he's subject to potential repercussions at his employment. You know, what, I, yeah. what do you tell your children when they're young? When you do something wrong, tell the truth. Because if you cover it up, it's just gonna be way worse. Well, this company says a potential uh, exposure and it's not for several days does the company employees learn of the real situation only because the subject employee told his coworkers. He outed right. them. This is going to lead to way worse problems. He, yeah. he outed them, but, but it, it really does talk about an underlying problem too, which is how, it, how are they supposed to respond? What are they supposed to do now that they know that a, a, an one of their employees has COVID, are they supposed to close their shop down? If so, for how long? Are they supposed to just quarantine the people that were in contact with that employee? These are legitimate questions for legitimate businesses that don't have really good answers. David, how would you, if you're management at REI, you're, let's say you're the this location in Michigan store manager, and you've got a co-employee, an employee, who comes to you and tells you, well, how do you handle this? Because let's let's say you've got 160 employees at that store. I'm just making up a number. 
but how are you dealing with that? What's your responsibility to your store employees and your, yeah. your customers? Yeah. So, you know, it's from, from reading this article, it sounds like that REI had a good policy and procedure in place for when their uh, employees were exposed or tested positive. But the problem is these companies get themselves in trouble, as you were talking about, Tom, is when they don't follow their policies. Uh, they got a good policy, but you got to follow it. And if you don't, then it's just worse than not having the policy at all. It's just as bad as not having a policy. So, uh, yeah, don't don't cover these things up. Follow your policy. Do it the right way. And what's interesting about this to me is that REI, at least in my opinion, always has a pretty good reputation for big companies. They, uh, you know, as the article goes on to say, uh, they they made three point one billion dollars, or they had three point one billion dollars in sales last year. And they invested at least 70% of their annual profits in outdoor community through nonprofits, employee profit sharing, dividend for their members. They, again, it's a company that has a pretty good reputation. Uh, this, they, they didn't, they fumbled this. Tom, let's, let's say for this discussion, this case is in Montana. You represent this individual who told his company that he tested positive. They have then terminated him because he was not supposed to spread information about private medical uh, information to coworkers. Who's the first person you're deposing in a retaliation and workers comp case if you're suing the Montana location of REI here? I knew you were gonna ask me this kind of question. Look, <laughs> the problem that you just discussed has so many different prickly aspects to it that I hope you'll understand that I, I, I'm just gonna talk about a few of them. The fact is that the employee did the right thing by immediately telling his employer management that he has COVID. He is supposed to be allowed sick leave for, uh, in most cases, up to 60 days under that, under that what, what was that called, the WARN Act. He is supposed to be allowed to take time off to recover. But because he told his coworkers, now, now management is mad at him. So they're going to retaliate against him. In Montana, he has, they have to have a reasonable cause to let him go. So that probably was a wrongful discharge. We also have to question whether there's a violation of the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. With his COVID, he's got a disabling condition and he's entitled to reasonable accommodations. Did they do that? Um, with, with regard to the work comp itself, you know, if they fire him, then he's got wage loss. So he, that they've they've upped the scale of his work comp claim. And there's probably two or three other things that I'm, I'm neglecting to say right now, but there's a lot. There really, there really is. And guys, that's gonna lead us into this next article. And it's a really, it's a national article from the National Law Review. The top, our top five employment law liabilities facing employers post pandemic. And in this scenario that we've just created for you, Tom, I hope you had a home run because you've got a whole bunch of other laws that potentially could be there as uh, for, for, um, for your client to pursue. Uh, wage and hour claims may be part of this. I mean, we're just, we're kind of mushrooming our example, of course, but this is just to show workers out there that you've got some protections, some legal rights that you potentially, depending on your state and your jurisdiction, may be available for you. David, if we, 
if we come across any potential in the way, I'm just going to list the five here and then we can talk yeah. about them. Wage and hour claims, leave claims under the, the new Family First uh, Act, workplace safety. You know, OSHA has come out with a few more guidelines lately. Discrimination charges. Uh, you mentioned, Tom, the Warren Act violations. And there's probably others, but this is just the five mentioned here that you can potentially pursue for your client. It's a whole new world, Bernard, and, and that, that's what's, what's, uh, what's interesting and yet uh, complex for lawyers to try to advise their uh, business owners and business clients about. And uh, that's not really my practice. Mm -hmm. My practice is, on the other hand, is to try to take care of injured workers. If an injured worker has been exposed by an employer uh, to excess harm and the employer knew or should have known that that harm was going to take place, there is a question about whether I get to, to charge work comp plus a negligence action. Mm -hmm. In Montana, he, the employer has to provide a safe place to work to the employee. And what does it mean to have a safe place to work during a pandemic? Well, we don't have a lot of safety standards. In fact, the Democrats and in Congress right now are trying to push for well-defined safety standards. The Republicans, to counteract that, they're trying to push for uh, immunity from liability. So it's going to be a, a tug of war to decide what's safe, what's not safe, whether the employer created a safe workplace or not. But the, the, the guiding principle from this law firm is we want to help injured workers continue working and to find their way to uh, provide for the families. And if the employers get in the way of that, then they're going to get in the way of us. Mm -hmm. Dave, what about those employees who have been furloughed? They're the, and, the, and what I'm about to say ends this week, actually, is that pandemic-related extra $600 a week in I'm going to call it an incentive, but you've got employees who are home getting unemployment, their regular 200 and whatever it is in Alabama, plus the 600, but that's going to stop. Now their companies are saying, hey, we need you back in the workplace. But now we've got uh, most employees are probably making more staying home, honestly. Tom, I don't know if it's a similar uh, scenario or what you're seeing with, with folks. But we've got so many people now are scared to go back to work. And that's not enough in an at-will employment state in Alabama to protect your job at all. And it probably is similar in, in Montana. I, is that accurate? That, that is accurate. But what is the, what is the employer's obligation to a, a worker who, who has all of these susceptibilities? Let's say that worker is 65, male, uh, overweight and has diabetes, do they have increased responsibilities to that injured worker when they try to force him or her to return to work now? And so that's an open question and it's not an easily answered one. Yeah. Yeah. David, not only that, go ahead, I was, was going to add to that point, Tom, that a lot of these workers may have been off work three, four, five months, and uh, a lot of them have become deconditioned 
And we're going to have to be on the lookout for uh, injuries as they return to work because their bodies are just not in, in work shape. You know, if you're working on a plant and an assembly line, absolutely. But Dave, I want you, with the risk of knowing either mom's watching this live or we'll watch this later on, describe <laughs> how mom's employer, she loves her work, has worked with her to allow her to keep working, but from home. Yeah, that's right. That's been a good situation in the sense that she's uh, kept her job, but because of her age, she's high risk. So she's been able to uh, work from home, telework as it's called, or telecommuting. Um, and that's one of the things that's talked about in this article about, you know, wage and hour claims. We've got assistants uh, working from home. How do we know that they're doing their work and staying within their their work schedule and getting their work done, but taking appropriate breaks. Uh, no complaints on our assistants, they're doing a great job. Uh, we're real happy with the work they're doing, whether they're in our office or at home. But uh, yeah, you've got more employees working from home, they've got equipment at home, and then you know, then you run the risk, then they run the risk of uh, what, you know, work accidents, but actually taking place at their home as opposed to their office or uh, at the at the factory or the plant or wherever they work. So that's going to be another issue we're going to be facing in the coming months and years with more employees working at home and how to deal with work accidents uh, that uh, were sustained in the home or apartment. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Bernard actually touched on that a little earlier. How, how do we track their hours that they're working? What are their hours that they're working? Where is their work site? Is it the living room? Is it the den? If they're out of the den and they're going to the bathroom, is that a deviation or are they still in the course and scope of their employment? If they get hurt at home, do they, do they have a comp claim? Do they have a homeowner's claim? Do they, do they, you know, it's just kind of a, and how are you going to pay, how are you going to pay uh, for, for, for that kind of work when, when there's those kinds of questions going on? Yeah. It is, it's a never ending source of new legal things to consider when people call you with the fact pattern that you've never had to consider before, yeah. just given the nature of what the pandemic is creating. And I can't believe it took us 32 minutes into, into this before we mentioned the president and one of his executive orders. But I wanna move over to our, our next article Sued over COVID-19, companies scramble for federal court shelter. Yeah. And I don't want to chuckle at any of this because it's all very serious, but it is a novel argument, as it says here, that the president made us do it. And it's referring to Pilgrim's Pride, and there's a wrongful death lawsuit from a plant worker who died from COVID-19. And whenever we read any of these articles, I always, Tom, I always try to put it, what would David and I, what would our response be if this occurred in our state? How would we deal with this? Before we jump into this, and I think this comes out of Texas, have you had or seen any COVID-19 related lawsuits being filed in your state, in Montana? I'm not aware of any, Bernard, but uh, according to that article, as you know, it said there's 3,500 state and federal complaints currently pending, which I thought was a large number. It also said that there's 6,700 OSHA complaints pending with, with uh, COVID. So this uh, legal 
technicality that the defense is trying to propose is is it's a big deal and uh, a lot of the big defense firms are proposing it federal question jurisdiction federal a federal question like like the president's order can create a federal question which then should be administered or adjudicated in the federal courts that's their argument uh claimants attorneys like you and me we're probably saying no these two laws can be complementary. The president's order doesn't have to preclude the state's jurisdiction over providing a safe place to work, which is what our state wants uh, Montana employers to do. So I haven't seen it yet, but apparently there's quite a few of them out there. David, are you aware of any filed in the state in Alabama? I'm not aware of any, no. I know, Tom, we have a group of lawyers we talk with on a regular basis, our buddies who do the same kind of work, you know, compare notes, et cetera. And we've all talked about these scenarios, but I'm not aware uh, of any such lawsuits yet being filed in our state. Maybe I've missed it, but David, you you say you had not? No, I mean, there. I think there are uh, Corona or COVID-19 related cases in Alabama I think a lot of them deal with uh, business interruption practices. In other words, insurance companies are not paying uh, when, when business uh, profits are interrupted because of COVID-19. So it's business interruption cases. I do not believe there's, I'm not aware of any cases in Alabama where an injured worker died and there's a lawsuit brought related to COVID-19. I'm not aware of any of those. I, I, Tom, I want to say this Kentucky case that, against Trader Joe's, it's toward the end of the article, that may have been one of the first cases filed in the country, and I bet a lot of eyes are watching how that one plays out. It was filed back in April. Uh, some, uh, he was claimed that he was not allowed to wear gloves on the job. Um, let's see. Well, in Montana, you know, the first claim, the first claim where you're, you, you contract COVID because you're not aware, you're not allowed to wear gloves, your exclusive remedy is workers' compensation. It's called the Montana or the, it's called the workers' compensation exclusivity defense. You can't sue your employer for just gross negligence in not allowing you to wear gloves. But there is case law in Montana that if you, if your employer ex continually exposes other employees to the same known risk, then there's a possibility you can sue that employer for unsafe place to work. And that is where you bring a state court action. And that is where the insurer and the employer try to remove it to federal court. And it's important for all of us uh, claimant practitioners to remember that you can immediately move to remand back to state court uh, as soon as that happens, because there's tight deadlines on when you're allowed to do that. So that's how it gets set up and that's how it could come, come down and to determine what the employer's standard of care is, is still an open question. And even today, right now in Congress, they're trying to fight out, fight whether there's gonna be liability exposure or whether there's gonna be protection from liability the Republicans are high, uh, they're fighting for a higher standard of care, a bigger burden of proof, a cap on damages. Um, so that's what they want. The Democrats want, you know, they want protection for injured workers. So it's, it's a fight politically. 
And it looks like that's tied into this next stimulus package. I guess. Yeah, and that leads us to our last article of the day. And I know we've been hearing for a number of weeks whether another stimulus check is going to be issued, and if it is, when, and if so, how much. But as things always do, it seems to just get the water gets muddy the more that they put into this to try to tie it all together. And gosh, what a cluster this is. Yeah. The article title is just that. Liability immunity is a key issue for the next stimulus package. And frankly, this is one of the reasons why I have zero interest in ever getting into politics. <laughs> I, I like my, my job. I like doing this. I like sitting on the sidelines and grousing about it and talking with my brother and a good friend about it. But I would not want to touch this at all. And David, did anything jump out here that makes you shake your head or give you any hope that something's going to be positively put into place? Well, you know, it, the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, says that uh, they're going to pass this bill, this potential $1 trillion plus coronavirus stimulus aid package that the bill must include protection for businesses, schools, and hospitals against unwarranted coronavirus-related lawsuits. Um, and I think that uh, Senator McConnell wants uh, immunity for five or six years for all these businesses. And he talks about this epidemic of lawsuits. And then there's, there's just not been an epidemic of lawsuits that have come out of this coronavirus. It's, it's just, it's, it hasn't happened. It's and, just the uh, fear of the epidemic of lawsuits. There's not, there's, stoking the flames. Yeah. Well, I, Tom, I, what, what, what say you? I think that, as I tried to say earlier, I think the guiding light should be for all of us to try to take care of one another. And I don't see how it takes care of a, a defenseless worker or, a, you know, one with, without very much economic power. How does it take care of that person, him or her, if we grant the big, the big company immunity for the things that the big company does wrong? I mean, that doesn't seem right to me, but it's politics. You know, the, the Senate has met with the president and they, they have a plan and they've got it agreed on and now they got to negotiate with the Democrats and, and that's how our system works. We're not supposed to watch, uh, we're not supposed to watch them make sausage and we're not supposed to watch them make laws. I just hope that the balancing of, of rights and the balancing of interests ends up protecting both as well as they can, but we do need, we do need help. Tom, I, 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 you're so right about that, that there's so, there's so many of our clients and people who may potentially be our clients one day who are paycheck to paycheck. And when they're not at work, and now that those checks of stimulus, I mean, excuse me, the increased uh, $600 a, a week unemployment checks stop at the end of this month, Folks are going to be chasing, or not chasing, they're going to be contemplating bankruptcy very quickly. So much so, and we've seen an uptick, Tom, we've, we've brought on a bankruptcy specialist, Steve Altman, with over 20 years experience in our practice in the anticipation that that's, that's what's going to come this next two quarters is so many more people who are out of work 
don't have another option but to seek the the, the help through bankruptcy and the protections that bankruptcy court can bring them. It's a, it's a scary time, and that's that's why they call it a pandemic. It's it attacks us on so many different levels, and uh, I'm I'm worried for the employees, and I'm worried for the employers, and I'm worried for our country, and we got to take care of each other. That's got to be our God in life, in my opinion. That's a great message, Tom. Take care of each other. I like that. It, you know, if it was, if uh, I just wish more people would hear it. I wish more people would listen to it. And for those of you watching, this is our monthly Alabama work comp today. We're live on YouTube with our friend Tom Murphy out of Montana. And we're talking about current news and articles that affect all levels of employment. If you've got questions or concerns, throw them in our live chat and I'll field them. If you guys want to reach out to Tom, we put his website on the uh, in the show notes here, an easy way to get in touch with him. And of course, for me and for Dave, you can also reach out to us through a myriad of ways, including a new texting number that we have. But before we, we leave these articles and this topic, and we're getting close to the, the end of our talk for the day, is, and here, this is going to be tough, and I'll start with you, Dave, is if you have a crystal ball, fast forward 90 days from now, are workers in our country any better off? Or are they right where they are, or are they worse? What, what do you what do you see coming? Well, I look back to 90 days ago and uh, think about what the world was like then. I, I, I don't think there'll be significant changes 90 days from now. I think we're still going to be in the midst of the pandemic. I don't believe there's going to be a vaccine. Um, I just hope we're watching college football then in 90 days. Well, Tom, that's what I was just going to say. What's going to be different in 90 days is that kids are going to be back at college. Organized sports are kicking into gear. In fact, today is opening day, so we got to get out of here in a few minutes so I can go watch. But sports in the in a different way are starting to come back. You know, with baseball and, and basketball, there's not people in the stands per se. I mean, there's a little bit of that, but very little. College football is still all over the board. And Tom, you know, in the deep south, that's so important to our way of life around here. But the SEC, where we are, and in fact, the, the Southeastern Conference offices, the home headquarters are three miles, four miles from our office. They still have yet to come out with a plan for the, the season whether they're going to be a full season or half a season or just conference or, or how many people can come into the games. And my point being is 90 days from now, are we going to need to be in another shutdown, complete quarantine or, because, you know, with schools now coming back, some schools are just online uh, for the first quarter. Some classes uh, some universities are a hybrid it's just, it's all over the board. So I know it's hard to predict, but Tom, do you have any thoughts on what it's going to look like? We're, we're in the seventh month, August, September. Let's put it in the, right before Halloween. What do you think things look like for us from a country standpoint, employment-wise? Well, I, I, I appreciate the question. And obviously, I don't have a very good crystal ball, but I can say this that with proper leadership as compared to other countries, 
with proper leadership, I would expect our country to come around and flatten the curves just like every other country in the world has done except for us. And whatever it is that we're doing that's, that's, that's causing us to be worse than every other country, I think that's gotta stop without pointing fingers at anybody. That's gotta stop. We gotta take care of each other as I've said probably too many times now. No, you can't say it enough. But Tom, with you being so close to the Canadian border, I don't know if you saw this, but the city of Toronto in the, in the country of Canada has told the Toronto Blue Jays, you cannot play your home baseball season in Toronto because teams from hot spots around the United States are gonna be potentially coming into our country. So right now, and the season starts in like two hours, the Toronto Blue Jays do not have a home stadium. The city of Pittsburgh told them, nope, you can't play here. They, 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 they may just play their whole season on the road, but for now, I mean, that's, that's one country, that's Canada saying, no, I don't think that Americans can fly into most European countries right now for the same reason. That's right. And that's, the, uh, that's their way of telling us that we're not doing it right. And I think we should take that message and, and gear up. We've got American know-how, we have American can-do, and we can do this. And let's let's get off the stick and do it. And I, if we do, I predict better things in th in ninety days. If we don't, then I guess we got to wait for November to see if we can get better leadership. Yeah, that's right. I tell you, a postscript to my answer, Bernard, is that ninety days ago, I didn't know people who had COVID. Uh, and you know, talking to friends, that you would ask that question. You know anybody that's got it? No, I don't. I've heard of somebody, but no, I don't know them. Friend of a friend of a friend. Now, 90 days from that point, it seems to be closing in a little bit on us. Uh, 90 days from now, it worries me that it's going to be on top of us and we'll be knowing more people that have been exposed. Uh, I mean, I have, a, I have a child on a campus, a college campus at the University of Georgia. And my other daughter, she lives here on her, on her own near me. But I, that's something I think about every single day. She also works in a medical lab. But anyway, let's jump off that. We'd only have a couple of more minutes. And what we typically do, Tom, toward the end of the show is we want to do just a quick comparison of a few aspects of the work comp laws of Montana and procedures and how you handle certain things that we do in Alabama. So let's let's take this. We're just going to take two topics. David, when we need to have an adjudication of a work comp claim, we file a lawsuit in state court. Take us quickly through that procedure, that how that works out, how you go from case comes in, you know you got to file a lawsuit to the end of your case after you've tried it. Sure. So, Tom, we go straight to trial court. In Alabama, we don't have an administrative work comp system. We're the only state in, in, the, in the union that when there's a dispute, we go straight to the trial court level. It's a circuit court judge, and it's filed in the particular county where the accident occurred. Um, and then we go through the discovery process, interrogatories, depositions, uh, take doctor's depositions, put up experts. Um, and then typically the case will be mediated by the Department of Labor, by an ombudsman of the Department of Labor, or by a private mediator or lawyer. And if we can't reach a resolution, then we're going to try the case. Now, we may have two different trials in the case. If, we, if, if compensability is disputed, uh, then we're going to have what's called a compensability trial or compensability hearing, and the judge will determine whether the employer 
is responsible for the on-the-job accident, the medical treatment, and the indemnity benefits. And then the second trial would be to determine the degree of disability from zero to permanent and total disability. Tom, take that same scenario where you need some type of adjudication of a work comp claim. What's the process or where do you take your case? Montana has some similarities there. We'll take on a case. First, we are required to demand whatever it is we want from the insurance company in writing. We must wait two weeks for them to respond. If they don't respond in a favorable way, we have to go to mediation, to a department uh, mediation unit. It's a prerequisite for us to go through mediation in order to go on to workers' compensation court. We have a separate court that takes on all workers' compensation matters. So subject matter jurisdiction is not given to the court until we've mediated the issue. At the workers' compensation courts, very similar to yours, we have interrogatories, discovery, depositions, and then there's a hearing in front of the one workers' compensation judge we have in the state. He travels around the state and goes- Did you, wait, did you say one? Yes, yes, sir. Wow. One, one. How, how is that judge? Is that uh, elected, appointed? How is he's the judge? A, he's appointed by the uh, governor and approved by the Senate. So- Wow. Yeah, one judge and uh, that, that, that judge gets to see it all then. And he, he travels around with five different dockets, the bigger cities in Montana. And here's, uh, here's the case. We get a, a decision from him six, seven, nine months later about whether there's coverage or not. Wow. That kind of leaves people high and dry. And then if, uh, if they don't agree, they can appeal his decision to the Montana Supreme Court, which is our, uh, our only appellate court. Wow, I thought our system was, was slow. But wow, getting a decision that, that far out really would, would starve out some people. Sure yeah, would. Two weeks ago, we argued before the Montana Supreme Court, we argued for unconstitutionality, the, the unconstitutionality of a statute that was enacted in 2011. It took us seven years to get that one to the, to the final hearing before the Montana Supreme Court. So, Tom, you must be a very patient, patient man. <laughs> no, you work with the laws, you know, you got to do what you can, but you can only do as much as you can. So, yeah. Yeah. We're up. We're up for the fight for the hall, the long haul. <laughs> That's right. Well, I was looking at my my show notes, and we've already really discussed the second part of this. It was comparing whether there was any type of presumption of COVID nineteen exposure cases. And as as hard as Dave as as we've been trying to get some type of uh, new laws passed in Alabama aren't we just kind of uh, flat dead in the water about any type of presumption for healthcare workers and people in the front line, so to speak? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't wish I, had, wish I had some positive news on that, but I don't think that's going to happen. Our laws haven't changed since David was in about second grade. <laughs> that's how long this has been in place about the pay rates and certain liabilities yeah. and such. And it's just- Tom. Tom, our permanent partial, excuse me, permanent partial disability cap is $220 per week. So if the judge finds the injured worker 99% disabled, uh, then the most that injured worker can get per week is $220 at a maximum 
of 300 weeks. And I think that's $66,000. And the employer gets a credit for TTD benefits paid. So if 100 weeks are paid before trial, then, then they're only looking at 200 weeks of benefits. Mm -hmm. And the 220 is reduced by the 15% attorney fee, which takes it down to $187 a week. That's been in place since 1987. Well, I think that's your uh, representatives not taking care of your injured workers. It is, and we have such a strong uh, business council lobby that just puts the, the clamps on everything and has, but we can save that for a whole nother, another day that we don't want to don't want to bore you Tom, on Alabama politics and the problems we have. But well, there's we some there's some questions there. Are you going to have an Auburn coach as your senator? That's what I want to know. <laughs> you hope enough. You hope enough Alabama Republicans uh, uh, will will uh, cross and vote for uh, Doug Jones, a Democrat. D Doug's Doug's the senator for all Alabamians. Tell tell Tom about Tuscaloosa County. And how petty. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that it actually finished with, with yeah. Tuscaloosa County support. It's, it definitely started off with Tuscaloosa County uh, voting in favor of sessions, but I don't know that it ended that way at the end of the night. That's because, uh, Tom, as you, you know, University of Alabama is in Tuscaloosa, and Tuscaloosa folks are not going to pull, root, pay one penny, do anything to support anything that has to do with Auburn. <laughs> you know, it crosses all all parts of life. <laughs> uh, There's a reason why David chose the background behind him, Tom. You may not recognize those, but it's a famous local artist who does nothing but Alabama uh, famous football games and plays. And he's not allowed to have those at, at his home on the wall. So he, he proudly displays them. <laughs> that's, that's fine art in Alabama. <laughs> I appreciate it as fine art, but it sounds like you've got some some talking to do with your wife if you can't hang them at home. I, I, I'm not fighting that fight, Tom. I long ago I gave up that battle and just said, "Fine, I'll keep them at the office. It's not a problem." <laughs> well, Tom, we want to we want to thank you, David, and I want to thank you for your time, your wisdom, your expertise, and your insight today. This was fantastic. I really enjoyed it, uh, Bernard and Dave, and. I appreciate your work, as I said. I mean, the last point I wanted to make was, you know, one of the calls I get two or three times a year is the son or the daughter or the sister or the mother of somebody in the insurance business. And they got hurt at work. And now all of a sudden the table is turned. And we have to remember that the table does turn. So we got to do a good job of taking care of our injured workers along with taking care of our employers. And it's a balancing act that we've got to reach. It and, is uh, interesting that you bring that up. We have a couple of those clients right now. That's right. Insurance so, claims adjusters. I appreciate you guys and your effort to keep the word out and uh, to spread the word so that all of us can make better decisions about things. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Dave, before I wrap it up, you got any last words? Just want to thank Tom for, for joining us today. It was great. Uh, I, knew, I knew you'd be a great guest. Uh, I appreciate you being with us. And uh, just, guys, as Tom said, take care of each other. Wear your mask, social distance, wash your hands. It's pretty simple stuff. It is, it is simple stuff. And I hope that when we come around in four weeks in our next Alabama Work Comp today, the August edition, 
we'll have Enrique Flores from Indiana will be our guest. And I'm sure that it will be another lively discussion. Enrique is a really good fella and a up and comer in Willig. And it's going to be a good discussion. We're looking forward to maybe talking a little college football or he may even bring some basketball to the living in Indiana. But guys, that'll conclude us for this episode. We sure appreciate you watching us live or later on. We try to bring timely topics about employers, 